So one email. That's all it generally takes. And in fact, that's all it really took. What happened was a hospital here in the US, and in fact, not only a hospital in the US, but hospitals across Europe, Germany, United Kingdom, all across Asia, were sent an email. Now, the email itself wasn't particularly suspicious. I mean, we all know how to spot suspicious emails, right? If it has spelling errors, then we know it's spam. <laughs> I wish it was that easy. Because the emails themselves contained a link, and when the employee clicks on the link, it creates a connection. A connection from that employee to a group of cyber criminals halfway across the world, who then use that connection to encrypt all of the data, not only on that employee's computer, but also on all of the shared drives of that hospital. You know, when we talk about things like cybercrime, we use words like malware and Trojan horses. To be honest, it sounds pretty cool, right? But the reality is, is that cybercrime is less to do with things like malware and DDoS, but more to actually do with the real impact that it has. You see, because what happened to these hospitals was all of their data were encrypted, and they were told, unless you pay us a certain amount of money, we won't give you the keys to decrypt your data. The impact was significant because patients who were scheduled to go into that hospital for operations had their operations postponed. Emergency patients that were going into A&E were turned away and sent to other hospitals. And women that were deemed high risk and that were going to be giving birth were turned away to other hospitals. When we talk about things like cybercrime, it's more to do with the impact. This is what it's really about. And so today, what we're going to be talking about is this very issue of ransomware. And so I'm going to ask John, who represents the Dutch National High Tech Crime Unit, to give his perspective about how law enforcement is facing or fighting this 21st century problem. But then we actually have some good news. We're going to actually talk about how we as a society are fighting back against what I think is probably the biggest challenge that we face in, in our society today. And then we're going to address one of the biggest myths that we have with regards to cloud computing. How many people here have heard the saying, you should never store high-risk assets in public cloud? All right? What do we use? We use private or hybrid, or do you know what? Don't even use cloud. What we do is we all store it internally because, you know what? The public cloud isn't that trustworthy. So we're going to shatter that myth because, quite frankly, what we've done in the No More Ransom initiative is we've created the world's biggest honeypot. Ben is going to stand up, and Ben from AWS is going to share with us how he's architected, him and Nathan Case have architected No More Ransom to withstand an absolutely remarkable amount of traffic and attacks. And he'll share with you some of the attacks that we've faced, but actually how you can architect public cloud for high-risk assets. It really can be done. So with that, I'm going to invite John to the stage. Yes. Thank you, Raj. My name is John. I'm from the Dutch High Tech Crime Unit, a small country in the Netherlands. And um, I work there as a digital team coordinator. 
and our unit focuses on uh, advanced forms of cybercrime on a daily basis. So ranging from botnet takedowns to banking malware. And the team I work with, uh, we work on ransomware and digital extortion on a daily basis. That's our sole focus. Um, the warning you see right now is that it's because of the impact that ransomware would make financially, but also emotionally on its victims. So we have some slides with some more graphic uh, uh, expressions of, uh, of emotions, so please be warned. Um, ransomware is a form of digital extortion, nothing more, nothing less. It's a way of taking your money. And the criminals, what they will do, they will take your personal files, you've heard it all before, they'll take your financial data, but they could also take your cherished memories, because often we only have pictures left of the people we love. How it often starts when we see the infections is um, it could, it could, you could get infected in several ways. Um, but the most, most often cases are that you would receive an email. And it might look really innocent. In this case, uh, it could be from your local cable provider. It could be from um, that you missed a uh, package delivery, for instance. And in this case, um, it's an, uh, an invoice that was shipped incorrectly. It might look simple, but behind this simple email, as we see on a daily basis, the work we do, are a lot of cyber criminals working together, working really hard to make this look as innocent as possible. We have seen cases where there's uh, work-at-home job schemes with virtual assistants and translating offices who would translate emails in native-speaking quality, and they do it unknowingly, so they aid the criminals. Behind this simple email is a whole network of botnets to deliver the spam en masse. Obviously, as Raj pointed out, the little payload um, contains the ransomware or contains a link to the ransomware. So we have to ransomware developers. And there's even um, a group of developers who don't only make the ransomware, but they specialize in obfuscating the code so it would evade antivirus uh, programs. So it might seem simple, but ransomware and digital extortion is a big money business. So picture this. It's a Friday night or Friday afternoon. You're at the office. You're doing your best. You're working on an important invoice for a client, and uh, you're multitasking. The holiday season's up, and you want to make this nice photo album of your family pictures. So you do that on the side on your portable hard drive. And just before you go out to the office, you want to clear your inbox because you don't want to have worries on your uh, mind and then finish off. And you click on this last email. And before you know it, you click on the link, and then the trouble begins. Instantly, you get a couple, you get a lock screen, a pop-up pops up, and, well, as we all do with pop-ups, we ignore them, huh? We just go on for our business, but only to realize that the invoice you are working on is locked out. You cannot reach it anymore, let alone your financial data. You're even your whole accounting firm or your services, you cannot reach it. And the worst thing of all, that portable hard drive that you are working on is fully encrypted. You cannot reach your pictures anymore. A slight panic kicks in. You think, ooh, this is not good. You remember that pop-up screen. So you go back to the pop-up screen and read it more carefully. It's a message from the criminals. And they said they, they yeah, encrypted your computer with an uncrackable key. And in this case, 
you have to pay him one and a half bitcoins. Back then it was $800. I checked this morning, it's more than $1,100 right now to get your files back. Um, it seems like a reasonable trade to make for a lot of people. My business, is that worth $1,100? So often people negotiate and they think like, hey, this is an even trade. Another thing you can see that's really professionally made is that there's a link. You can even chat with the guys. You can chat with them and if you need help. So, show of hands. If your business is on the line, who would pay up or who would negotiate? Anyone? Okay. We see it often that people try to negotiate or even pay the ransom. Uh, the next slide we will show is this case. Victims are negotiating with the criminals. The victim would say, please give me the key. I've only a small business. And this way I'll go bankrupt. And the reaction from the criminals could be, well, just laughing. Or they will ignore it. And often they will be not vulnerable to your uh, way of like plea bargain. They'll be showing no compassion or understanding. And in some cases, they will lower their bargain a little bit or their, 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 um, their fee, but you still have to pay up. And in the end, that's what it is. They're only in here for the money. They don't care about your personal files. No, they just want to make money. It's money business. So they're always negotiating. When we look at a different one, this becomes more and more emotional because um, it's the pictures of loved ones. And you can see it struck somebody really hard. And he would negotiate a little bit. And then the last one, a victim would, yeah, he's fully uh, emotional in this case. And uh, we see a lot of replies. This may seem like something out of a book or a story I just tell, but actually there's some spelling errors in this as well in these slides, because these are actual chats. These come from command and control service from a ransomware that we seized the command and control server off, and it contained thousands of chats. And we could see that a lot of people would pay up if they don't have a reason backup. From these people who try to negotiate and either pay up or don't pay up, some of these people will reach out to us, and they will file a police statement, a victim statement. Um, We'll have a talk with them, and we'll see how it goes. And often these stories are heartbreaking, what we see. Because, like I said, if you don't have recent backups, or the, most of the people will pay up. And they, uh, they expect the criminals to give back their files. Well, i got news for you guys. That isn't always the case. They won't always give back your files. But what do you expect? <laughs> You're negotiating with criminals, aren't you? And... From another side, yes, sometimes if you pay up, it will be a short-sighted win. We hit it a lot. But think of it this way. If you pay up, you get your files back. But in the end, these criminals will use that money to launch more sophisticated and more devastating attacks against you. You're basically feeding the monster. And the funny thing is, it's funded by your own money. So if you don't improve it, you're going to be a target again, and harder and harder and harder. And if you negotiate with them through the chat function, guess what? Now they know you're really willing to pay because these files are important to you. 
when we get a victim statement or we get information, that's my job, and we get information about command and control servers or whatever in the Netherlands, uh, we go out and we try to seize the command and control server. We start an investigation and we try to build a case. Our old strategy was mostly focused on going after the bad guys directly, trying to go for the attribution. We still do that. We're still pretty good at it. But these cases, the criminals are teaming up, and they all have their own speciality. And they're teaming up, and they're staying anonymous really, really well. So the victims, they always think that we have some kind of magic key, and we can unlock their files, or that we have special powers that we can arrest the guys in two weeks. But the truth is, the ransomware cases with the big families of ransomware, like the ones that Raj is going to tell you about, they take years, years of investigations. And when I talk to the victims, they say, like, hey, John, really nice that you caught the bad guy, but I'm already bankrupt for two years now, or I'm not getting my pictures of my grandpa back. So we felt like we needed to change our strategy with this because it's, it's not working out. What we did was like, hey, can we collaborate with private sector industry, the security companies, and see if we can use each other's strengths? We as law enforcement have our investigative powers. We have forensic skills and that on. And when we combine it with the cybersecurity industry, like Raj is in, and their subject matters on ransomware as well, let's see what we can achieve together. So um, I, uh, we, we called our friends at Europol. We called our friends at Kaspersky Lab. And uh, most of all, I also called my friend Raj. And I said, Raj, listen up. Why do you feel about teaming up? Because uh, if the bad guys can team up and work successfully together, shouldn't we? So Raj, take it away. So I was a little bit disappointed when he said, do you want to team up? And I wasn't going to get a badge. <laughs> Honestly, one of my favorite movies is uh, Miss Congeniality. And I remember that scene when she gets the cup of coffee from the beginning. You remember that? And she pushes in right at the beginning. She goes, federal agent. I've been dying to do that all my life. <laughs> but let me give you a quick insight into what we're up against. So it was about 12 months ago. I was here at the Palazzo. We had our own McAfee conference. And we published a report. And the report was an insight into a ransomware family by the name of CryptoWall. In fact, it was version 3 of CryptoWall. We were really happy. We published the report on the Wednesday. On the Thursday, we went out. And then I flew home on Thursday night. And when I landed on Friday, what did I see? Version 4 had been released. It only took 36 hours. But what was remarkable about this was the individuals behind CryptoWall version 3 had basically made $631 million just from ransomware. Whose IT budget or security budget exceeds that of $631 million? We have a sales guy in the audience, by the way. He's looking keenly and intently. <laughs> That's what you're up against. That's just one family, by the way. And incidentally, um, we found more money in the Bitcoin, the master Bitcoin wallets. They're making money through other nefarious techniques. So as John mentioned, we need to do something. Now, I'm going to share with you a little secret. And I haven't actually shared this publicly before. 
But we worked with AWS, in fact, two weeks before we went live, which is 25th of July. I remember calling Ben Andrews in the front, in the front row there, and I said, Ben, um, I need you to host something for me. And he said, well, yeah, okay, that's what we do, right, for AWS. And I said, no, no, but it's going to be the most targeted website I think there is. And he said, well, that's fine. We can deal with that. And I said, well, yeah, but I don't want to pay any money. <laughs> he goes, typical Indian, right? Uh, I, said, I said, okay, well, look, let's speak to Teresa and let's see if we can make this happen. So we ended up having this discussion, and they very kindly agreed to host No More Ransom for us. But we were, on a, on, on a, we were on a deadline. We had like less than two weeks now. So Ben Potter and Nathan Case very kindly developed the infrastructure for us. We already had a beta site up, and they ported it all over to AWS. But it didn't really all go to plan now, did it, Ben? Because we really only had one problem with AWS, and that was Ben's inability to determine what Central European time is. He was arguing and complaining about Google. So he always argues about Google. Um, but at the time, we were due to go live at 10 a.m. Central European time on the 25th of July. And we were going to be launching this particular portal here. Now, it was 9.57. And if you imagine, I'm in this room in The Hague in the Netherlands, and there are multiple police officers. Now, for me, I'm from London, so... Seeing people with guns kind of freaks me out. I suspect other countries may not have such an aversion to guns. But for me, it was kind of frightening. And I'm seeing these police officers look at their phone, going to nomoreransom.org, getting a 404, and then just looking directly at me. <laughs> I, had, I had the head of RPR with me at the time. And she was standing right next to me. And I think she detected that something was wrong. And I kid you not, she did this. She went... She literally moved away from me. <laughs> it's absolutely true. But I'm really pleased to say that we managed to get the site up at 9.59, and um, we launched this particular portal called nomoransom.org. And why it's such a big thing is because we allow anybody, whether you're a customer of McAfee's or Kaspersky's, whether you're European or whether you're from the United States or anywhere in the world, you can go to this website, and you can answer the question, have you been hit by ransomware? Now, if you hit yes, you're then given the opportunity to upload your encrypted files. And when you upload your encrypted files, it will tell you what family of ransomware you've been hit by. So just to, give it into, just to put it into perspective, 12 months ago in January, January we had 10 families of ransomware. Now we're in the, to the multiple hundreds. So there's countless ransomware families out there. That's great, right? We'll tell you how you've been infected. But the reality is, is that you still don't have access to your data. Here's why this is different. Because when we work with law enforcement and we do takedowns of ransomware families, we gain access to decryption keys. In fact, on the 25th of July, we announced that we'd just disrupted a ransomware variant by the name of Shade, and we'd managed to extract 250,000 keys. Of those, 165,000 we managed to get into plain, in, we managed to extract and make available into a free tool. So 165,000 people that were infected with ransomware 
were now provided with a free key to get their data back. And so finally, you have a third option. When you're hit by ransomware, you have two options. Pay criminals or lose your data. We finally gave people a third option, which is get your data back and don't pay criminals. Now, just to put it into perspective, when we launched on the 25th of July, we made multiple keys available for a huge number of families. In fact, we just disrupted another family just over a week ago. And we've successfully decrypted in excess of 2,500 computers and prevented 1.5 million US dollars going into the hands of criminals. Thank you. When I said that in London, they were louder. Not that I'm judging. No. Not that I'm judging you. In addition to that, not only since the 25th of July have we prevented over a million dollars going into the hands of very nasty individuals, but we've had over 13 new police agencies join our collective. And on the 15th of December, we're going to be doing another announcement where we anticipate that we're going to be getting more private sector companies to join. This is not an old boys club. This is not people looking out for their commercial interests. We're working with our commercial competitors like Kaspersky, for example, and providing free tools for individuals, for businesses all across the world with absolutely no expectation in any way, shape, or form. So, where is this issue of ransomware going? Uh, is, is anybody here from San Francisco? Okay, there's a few of you. Anybody tried to use the, the is it the Muni system, the light railway system? Muni, yeah. Anybody tried to use that last weekend by any chance? And you know, some of you know what I'm talking about, right? The Muni system was hit by ransomware. There's a misconception that ransomware is targeting mom, mom, mom and pop stores. Sorry, my accent's terrible, but, you know, hitting consumers, and it's not. It's going after businesses, and more specifically, we've seen an increase and in an escalation in attacks targeting healthcare, education, and local government. Because they'll pay. And there's a real dilemma and an ethical debate going along in terms of some criminals are arguing that they shouldn't hit hospitals because it's unethical, and other criminals are saying, no, it's okay. But the reality is, is that there are a group of criminals out there that are specifically targeting organizations where they know that they will be paid. And let's be honest, if you're going to target any industry, you're going to go after one that's perceived as the most vulnerable and the one that you know that are most likely to pay. And that's why we're seeing, which hasn't really been an issue before, but we're seeing an escalation in attacks targeting specifically businesses and businesses that they know will pay. And these attacks against healthcare are going after organizations right across the globe. And the sad thing is, is that they're getting paid. This particular family was uh, a variant that we know as SAMHSA. Uh, and there's an element of manual hacking involved with regards to this. So there's vulnerable servers that they exploit, and then they dump ransomware onto the victim's networks. Now, we were quite successful in our analysis because the way that they launder funds is they go through Bitcoin and they use multiple Bitcoin wallets. 
to try to obfuscate where the money's actually going. But my research team have been very successful in getting access to the master wallet, so in other words, where they actually cash out. And in six weeks alone, they've made over $100,000 just targeting hospitals. Let me think about that for a second. Those stories that I was talking about earlier, it's a profit for them. There's a return on investment. And $100,000 for six weeks' work, you could be in sales, right? I mean, that's more than we get paid in sales. So, I mean, that's pretty impressive. And the ROI is, is significant for them. And it's so easy to do. Cybercrime has become child's play. I'll give you an example. Five weeks back, we published a report called A Health Warning, and we, we talked about the vulnerabilities in the healthcare industry. Actually, I haven't told you this story. Watch his face as I tell this story. It's going to be a picture. So <laughs> I'm going to watch this because this is quite funny. So um, we talked about how healthcare providers are being hacked and medical data is being sold on underground forums. And at the time, all of the examples we had were all U.S. organizations. So I was having an interview with a Dutch journalist. What you say? Tell me if it changes, by the way. And he said to me, Raj, this is great, but I can't really publish a story in the Netherlands about U.S. patients being compromised because we don't really care, right? <laughs> so he said, have you got any examples of Dutch patients and Dutch hospitals being compromised? So I said, let me have a look this evening. And I remember that night, it was about 7.30 in the evening, and I just couldn't be bothered. And so I just wanted to sit and play Clash of Clans, right? You know how it is sometimes. You just want to watch TV or play computer games. So I said, I don't want to look at my laptop again. So I said to my 11-year-old daughter, I said, sweetie, do you mind going onto the dark web and finding me examples of Dutch patients' medical records? <laughs> and she's a lovely little girl, by the way. She said, sure, Dad, not a problem. And it didn't take her long at all. And that's how simple this has become. The concept of ransomware, my 11-year-old daughter can actually go out and conduct a ransomware campaign because it's done as a service. See, as a service, right? It kind of works. <laughs> but it's done as a service. You can run a ransomware as a service operation. You can go online. All you need to do is tell them how much money you want to charge for the ransom, and they will do that for you. They will charge you a 20% fee, and they will take 20% of your profit. That's how simple this has become. And individuals like affiliate programs that are running these particular operations, they actually go out and recruit people. So if you think that we, we have trouble trying to hire staff because you can't compete with AWS or Intel, these guys are paying a huge amount of money to hire the absolute best talent out there. And that's who we're up against. So before I hand over to Ben, what we need to do, fundamentally, is we need to get people to start to take preventative action to avoid being infected in the first place. Fundamentally, we don't want people to pay the ransom. If you get people that pay the ransom, it funds sex, drugs, rock and roll, and developers. I'm sure there's a t-shirt there somewhere, right? <laughs> but that's the reality of the world that we face. And just to put that into perspective, I'll give you a real example. So some of the most common variants out there, the likes of CTB Locker and others, the way that the criminals have worked is they've actually got a very good marketing department. 
So I, I didn't know this, right, before, but when marketing send you emails that you don't want, they can tell when you click on emails. They can tell um, which country you're in. You know, like, they've got pretty good analytics about, you know, sending unsolicited or solicited emails. They're using the same techniques. So when they run spam campaigns, they can tell which spam campaign was the most successful. They can tell when victims actually click on a link, and they can tell which campaign was the most successful. Now, here's the kicker. Which country do you think gets hit by ransomware more than any other country in the world? Correct, the US. Now, we know you love your email, but that's not the reason why. The reason, because, the reason they're targeting US victims more than anybody else is because a study has found that US individuals are 54% more likely to pay a ransom than any other country in the world. Number three, by the way, is the United Kingdom. We're at 44%. Now, which two countries are hit by ransomware more than any others in the world? United States and the United Kingdom. So paying the ransom is probably the most selfish thing people can do. Because what you're doing is you're actually going to make it more difficult for everybody right across the globe, and certainly in your country, because criminals recognize that, and they will target individuals more specifically. So... How do we develop the world's best honeypot? <laughs> How do we manage to address that issue, which is we're going to use a public cloud service for probably one of the most highest profile sites out there. And how do you architect it so it remains up? And more importantly, how do you use Google? Ben. <laughs> Thank you, Raj. Oh, it's there. Can you shake my hand? Yeah. <laughs> Good shake. Thank you very much, Raj. Uh, my name's Ben Potter. Uh, I work in the professional services team in AWS as a security specialist. I'm going to go through the architecture in two tiers now, uh, but what you're seeing in the architecture is a bunch of AWS best practice. So using the DDoS white paper that's out there, also using the well-architected framework, and also using the AWS security best practices. Uh, we also used a bunch of jump starts, uh, including the AWS WAF jump start that's out there. And we used the marketplace as we only had, uh, uh, it wasn't actually two weeks, it was more like a couple of days to get the site up and running. We used the marketplace for a number of services, including the Barracuda web application firewall. So I'll just go through the edge architecture now. So when a client does a DNS resolution, they use the Route 53 service for resolution. The, the main www.nomoransom.org DNS zone has a resolver that has a latency, sorry, a failover health check between two different CloudFront distributions. The reason why we have two different CloudFront distributions is to mitigate against human error. So if somebody makes a mistake in a CloudFront distribution, and makes a change. It, as you may know, it takes up to 15 minutes for a change to replicate through the over 60 plus edge locations that CloudFront has. So we have that uh, automated failover just in case somebody makes a, a change. Um, the majority of the site is hosted by uh, is static content that is hosted out of S3. So S3 is protected using the origin access identity feature of CloudFront. So even that S3 bucket with the content is not directly accessible uh, to the public, uh, only accessible and restricted 
through, again, AWS Security Best Practices, Identity and Access Management Service, uh, to the special development team. Um, going through the architecture, we have uh, CloudFront at the front end. That has, of course, S3 for the majority of the static content. Then we're using custom behaviors and custom origins within CloudFront. How we're doing that is using Route 53 for latency-based routing to a number of different AWS regions that actually serves the dynamic section of the website, that is the crypto sheriff page for doing the email and file upload functionality of the site. This allows us to, when a user hits the website, they'll hit their nearest CloudFront pop edge location. They'll get all the static content, usually out of cache since it's such a highly trafficked website. And then CloudFront will then do the lookup through Route 53, depending on where that edge location is, to hit the nearest region. So not only the latency is reduced, but even the unlikely event, again, mitigating against human error, because that's the most likely cause, in case that entire region is down or something isn't quite right in that region, it will automatically fail over to another region to serve that request. I'm going to drill down now to what the regional architecture looks like inside each of the regions. Again, we num run a number of these regions. They're only accessible by the edge locations. So all these regions are completely isolated from uh, the public IP address space. And we're using custom host headers passed through from CloudFront, as well as uh, IP address restrictions in the security groups of the front-end elastic load balancer. So we've done what's called a ELB sandwich with another layer of web application firewall. So we're using both the AWS web application firewall at the edge for coarse grain filtering, using the automated protections with uh, Lambda for rate-based blacklisting, and also for detecting uh, bad bots in real time and blocking that at the edge locations in real time. So we're using uh, Barracuda web application firewall from the marketplace to provide a real fine-grained web application firewall functionality in the stack. Uh, yes, it does look like an Australian shark, and just like an Aussie shark, nothing gets past it. <laughs> so, um, Some of you might be surprised to see Elastic Beanstalk utilized there. Uh, we chose Beanstalk because a number of the developers weren't very familiar with AWS, and Beanstalk provided a really easy-to-use platform to get get started with uh, AWS with the Dynamics portion of the website. Uh, we also have a bunch of analytics tools. And in fact, the most complex part of the architecture is actually the analytics uh, log analysis and real-time blocking system that we have in place there. And we're using API Gateway for detecting bad bots and scrapers on the website, backed by Lambda functions, then going into the AWS WAF service. Uh, we're using uh, Redshift is a data warehouse for different types of log aggregations from different sources. And we're also using the Elasticsearch service. And uh, many of you would have seen uh, a few announcements this morning in the, the big data space that will uh, continually evolve this architecture over time. Uh, so some interesting stats now. 51,000 attacks, and it's obviously a lot more than that now since this slide was created, were reported by the Barracuda web application firewall. Now, if you take a look at the architecture that I just had up, the web application firewall, the Barracuda one, sits behind CloudFront, which provides the layer three, layer four, all that edge level uh, anti-DDoS protection. 
the Barracuda has reported 51,000 attacks. They were just specifically Layer 7 targeted attacks on just the dynamic page. That was it. And they range from people thinking it's a front page web server trying to exploit front page extensions uh, all the way through to uh, very sophisticated type attacks that we've seen on this site. Uh, um, over a million of those attacks were actually, uh, sorry, the million of the requests of those 51,000 attacks were actually from VPN services. So the actual IP addresses traced back to different VPN services on the internet uh, to mask the identity of the, of the adversaries out there. So, and of course, the nomorransom.org site, I haven't checked in the last half an hour, but is still operational and hasn't had any hiccups along the way. I'll let you guys just double check that one now. <laughs> cool. So some recommendations that we came out of this. There's always, in AWS, there's always a trade-off in uh, automating uh, Amazon machine images. So having a base level image, and in this case we use the Beanstalk base image, and then putting your tools on top of that um, versus baking the tools in. So we had a careful trade-off of the tools building into the AMIs and how frequently that occurred with the spin-up time. So we, needed, we need to be able to respond to periods of uh, high traffic, um, potentially a DDoS, but the traffic to the site is incredibly variable and we have to use auto-scaling. So therefore, having as much baked into the AMIs as possible is, is absolutely critical here and is carefully tuned. Um, each stage along the way, we reviewed our technical choices. So we have an amazing team that support this project inside of AWS, uh, including Nathan, as, as Raj pointed out. And look for ways to automate. So at this scale, with all the different regions we have, we had to automate absolutely everything we do. So we use CloudFormation based on the publicly available best practice architectures and jump starts. And we've modified that so we can do quick deployments, uh, isolate uh, development systems from the actual production website as well. And key point down the bottom there is to actually build the trusted relationships. So we have AWS now has really, really good relationships with uh, both Dutch police, uh, Intel, Security, McAfee, and uh, Kaspersky. So we all had a, a goal in mind for this project and it's just an absolutely fantastic outcome. We're really proud to be part and supporting of this awesome initiative. So we also have uh, complexity. So we could have gone incredibly complex for this. We could have had all the site on dynamic servers. We could have had database backends, uh, more than what we have for analytics, but we kept it simple. So the site actually started off as when I first got the, the copy of the website, it was actually completely WordPress. And I said to Raj, I'm sorry, Raj, the, the, this website isn't going to go live as WordPress. <laughs> so it's just not going to happen. So what we did is we pulled it apart, we simplified the design, and it turns out there's only one page in the entire site that needs to be dynamic. Uh, so then the teams actually converted all the content to static HTML, tidied it up, and that's all served uh, out of S3 and CloudFront. So we really simplified that, reduced the complexity, and reduced the risk of, of, um, um, of downtime there. 
Um, as, as I pointed out before, the, the most complex part of the site is actually the analytics. So trying to keep the adversaries at bay and just knowing what's going on and working around the clock as well. And coordinating the, all the different time zones. I'm in Australia, Raj is in the UK, John's uh, in Holland, and the Kaspersky team's in Russia, and with a bunch of AWS guys uh, across the US as well. Uh, it was incredibly challenge, in challenging. So it's probably one of the most challenging parts of the, of the initiative was just that working around the clock. Uh, but it was also very beneficial with myself in Australia and Nathan and the other guys in the US. We could actually work 24-7 in shifts to get it up and running uh, in the time that we had. So we worked through the different layers of the web application and we reduced our attack surface along the way, so starting off with Route 53, CloudFront. We did actually consider different serverless architectures, uh, but we felt for the complexity involved in going serverless for rewriting the dynamic parts of the website, it just wasn't, uh, there wasn't a benefit for it straight off. Uh, but it certainly is a hybrid of uh, serverless using API gateway feeding in uh, from the bad bot filters all the way through to the dynamic part of the website with uh, Beanstalk. So one little trick we use with CloudFront is, and we did this from the start, is CloudFront has the ability to have custom error pages. The custom error page for this site is the index.html page of the home page. So anytime you get an error, you don't get a 404 error, you get the index.html home page. But you get the index page with a status code of 200 back from CloudFront. So the adversaries out there running scans on the website get 200s back for absolutely every single request they do. So it makes it incredibly uh, difficult to run traditional scanning software across the website to try and work out where the vulnerabilities are because everything comes back as a 200. Um, and in fact, we were just uh, doing some analytics the other day and we saw that somebody was trying very advanced front page attacks and WordPress uh, style attacks from the same IP um, uh, ranges on the site. And of course it doesn't run WordPress, it's not front page, but they just kept going and going. Um, it was just uh, really funny to see them see them do that. So uh, thank you for listening to the architecture. Uh, I'll hand back over to Raj now. Sure. Thank you. <clears throat> so there are three things that I've learned from this. I don't have to worry about doing any of the setup for it because we had a few days to go live and Ben and Nathan did it all for us. We focus on the operation to disrupt the shade ransomware. And the benefit that we had of working with Nathan, Ben, Ben Andrew, and the Barracuda team was they just did it for us. And it allowed us to focus on our core business, which was taking bad guys out. The second thing that it taught me is I should never make forecasts in my life. Um, ben actually asked, Ben Andrew asked me the question. He said, Raj, we'll host this for you, but can you tell me the amount of traffic you expect on the site, right? That's a prerequisite. If you're going to be hosting a service, you need to know how much volume you expect. But we didn't have any precedents here, so I had to guess. Now, I actually guessed we're going to have a website about ransomware, 12,000 a day. Now, everybody agree with me? Would you say 12,000 a day is about right? Anybody would go higher, perhaps? Maybe, what, 100,000? Surely not. 
Maybe. Don't give it away. <laughs> Day one, traffic, 2.6 million. Day two, 2.4 million. Page views since launch, 23.5 million. Average views, 400,000 per day. It's fair to say we've read about elasticity. They got me out of a hole. I mean, because if we'd have gone with 12,000 and we'd have hosted it internally, we would have crashed. And the third thing that I learned is if you go after bad guys, they get quite angry. <laughs> um, two days ago, we haven't actually published this yet, we picked up a new ransomware sample. And the file extension that it uses when it encrypts your hard drive is dot no more ransom. <laughs> so we're really honored that they've actually named a ransomware family after us. And I think that's quite a, that's a, quite a coup, right? Um, but look, in, in all seriousness, I did want to kind of try to recruit people here. And to do that, I'm going to share with you, I think, what will be a true story, maybe not this year, maybe not next year, but certainly 2018, 2019. So just imagine, you wake up in the morning, you hit snooze on the alarm just a little bit too much, and you realize you're late to drop the kids off to school, you're late to get to work. You get into your car, you try to start your car, it's freezing cold, and all of a sudden Rick Astley begins to play, never going to give you up. And you realized on the telematics, on the IVI system, on your car, you've now got a picture of a pirate, and it says, unless you pay me a ransom, you're not going to go anywhere. Now that sounds far-fetched, doesn't it? But actually, it was in this very city, just a few months ago at Black Hat, that me and my team, we showed the vulnerabilities in current IVI systems. Like, you can buy these IVI systems today at a website of your choosing, and they will sell you this vulnerable device. We told them this seven months ago, and we said, the telematic system that you have that are going in connected cars right now are vulnerable to ransomware. And do you know their response to us? has been total silence. Criminals know, or really their objective is to make money. And they know that, you know what, I may not pay three, five hundred dollars to get my data back. I might just back it up, and I might just restore it from backup. But if I can hold your car to ransom, heck, if I can go after medical equipment like insulin pumps, if I can go after pacemakers, you're going to pay the ransom. If you've got a $20,000 car or a $100,000 car, you're going to pay two, three, four thousand dollars $4,000 to get access back to that vehicle. And that's the reality of what we face. They are well-resourced. You would argue that they're probably more resourced than any company that I know today. They're motivated. And they're very clever. They're very technically innovative. And so the only way that we as a society can avoid a world like that is by collaborating and working together. So my ask is I need you all to step up. Amazon Web Services have. They haven't charged me. They've tried to. <laughs> I had to pay for dinner last night. No, I didn't, actually. That's not true. Um, Barracuda stepped up. 
We've got another 15 companies joining, and we're going to be announcing this. And even if you don't do research in cybercrime, go out and spread the message. Tell people, tell your friends, tell your family, tell your organization. If you are in communication with the general public, tell them about the website. Tweet about it. I put my Twitter handle up there. You know, tell people about the site. We're not charging you for this. Tell people not to pay. The only way that we're going to avoid a world in which criminals are going to be holding hospitals up, not at gunpoint, actually. I don't know what the right term is. By USB, I guess. But that's the reality. We live in a world in which people don't rob banks with guns anymore. They use USB sticks and malware. If you don't want that to be your world, do something about it today. Thank you.